morning. And uh, thank you for, for singing out this morning and, and worshiping our Savior. It's, uh, I think Darren said a couple weeks ago that, you know, sometimes we feel guilty that we have really one of the more fun, joyful jobs in the church where we get to... Uh, to lead God's people into, into singing and into worship. And, and I just so appreciate this church, how you sing. And, uh, you know, a year ago, we took a month off and visited some churches. And, and yeah, some sang, but not, uh, that's what I missed. I missed it a ton, uh, just how you sing out to our Savior. So thanks for doing that. Thank you for being gracious and letting your worship teams start a song wrong. You know, it's not about... This is for sure. This is definitely not about, at least I can speak for me, for skill. It's just about singing out to our Savior and choosing songs that exalt Christ is what we want to do here. So thank you for being a part of that. Wow, um, I, I can't help but do this. I have family here today. It's my dad's birthday yesterday, 73. And uh, my mom is over there. And then my, my older brother Michael's here from North Carolina. And uh, the reason I'm scarred and jaded. <laughs> no, I love him. My sister had it the hardest for me, probably, if we're honest. But um, happy, to <laughs> happy to have them here. It's just a real, it's a real joy. Um, it's tempting to just start telling stories and embarrass them, but I, I won't do that. Um, you know, I, I know, I know. It's a, it's a tempting thing. But no, I'm thankful for the godly heritage that my uh, family has given me. My parents love Jesus. And uh, all right, we'll just stop there. Not going to get a little, not going to get misty. That won't happen today. But I am thankful for them and happy that they're here. Um, all right, can I give you a pop quiz? One of you, just feel free to shout it out. It's a little bit like youth group, I suppose. Can someone give me a super basic outline of the book of Ephesians? Super basic. This is, I'm testing myself to see if you're catching two points. Huh? That's good. Awesome. Chapters 1 through 3, what God has done, who we are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, our position. or our No, that was our position and then our practice. What we're to do because of the power that we have in Christ. And yes, the gospel rings throughout. And that's what the whole, that's what's so great about the book of Ephesians, that it's the gospel, it's Christ that propels our good works. So many times we, we get this impression that God is pleased by us trying harder, by us doing everything, by following rules. Now, some of us, we're going to find today, all of us were born as rule breakers, right? But then oftentimes you go, oh, I got to get right with God. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to follow the rules. But ultimately, if you try to do that on your own power, what happens? You burn out because you cannot do it on your own power. But what we're seeing in these chapters we're studying right now is all God has done for us. It is God-centered. God moved. God worked. God saved. God redeemed. God adopted us. God did this. And then, just to skip ahead, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore. Well, when you see a therefore, what do you do? You go back and see what it's there for. And so he's pointing back to chapters 1, 2, and 3 and saying, look, 
This is what God has done for us. I now entreat you or urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. Now, if Paul has started right off, greetings, greetings to the church in Ephesus. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel or the calling that which you've been called. Without any background in that, all of us would go, whoa, how do I do that? But what we're studying now is exactly how that's done, and it's down by the power, done by the power of Christ in us. So I am enjoying, I am really enjoying the privilege to be teaching and preaching the book of Ephesians to all of us. I'm learning a bunch too, and I hope and I trust that you're, you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ as we go through this book. I also had heard from a few of you that you're enjoying and using the Monday through Saturday points or tools that we put at the bottom. That's, that's optional, obviously. We don't make anyone do anything. Um, but uh, whether you use them or not, please spend some time reading and knowing this book. And I hope at the end of our study that all of us will have a strong understanding of this, of this book, of the book of Ephesians, that we'll have a lot of it hidden in our hearts, that we'll be ready to give answers to people when they have questions, and we'll be quick to tell others about what God's grace is and how we're saved by grace alone. Because the message of grace alone, the message of God alone, scripture alone, faith alone is foreign to the world. There is no other religion. In fact, I almost don't want to even say, because religion has this idea of what we do, not what God has done. Christianity stands apart because we say, look what God has done. He did the work. And so now we get into chapter two. And I want to go back just for a little review and look at verses 16 through 21 where we were last week. And it says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. As we looked at Paul's prayer last week, I want to quickly remind you of something. Paul prays that the church would know the greatness of the power of God towards us. Paul wants us to know that God acted powerfully in our salvation. Paul wants us to know that that power is now part of our lives. He wants us to remember this. God's great power towards you, towards all believers. And we need to know God's power in our lives. And it's the power that raised Christ from the dead. And that power, that resurrection power, works and lives within us. And today we're going to see how that resurrection power works. Because go to chapter 2, verse 1, and the first thing it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We sometimes forget this. And Paul is constantly telling the church to remember. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember 
that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is, what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now we'll get there in a couple weeks and we'll, we'll talk about that passage. But Paul is continually saying, remember, remember, remember. Remember you were separated from Christ. Remember you were dead in your sins, but remember the power of God. And we have to remember that God has powerfully saved us. And to know, to truly know God's powerful work, we must, must remember what he has done. So let's look at our text in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now I think on your note sheet you have like three, three points, I'm going to tell you right now, we're getting to one. And you'll thank me, otherwise we'd be here quite a while. And if we end a little early, hey, but don't count on it. But if we end, if we end a little early, we'll, we'll go with it. But I want to talk today about the importance of knowing where we came from, that we must, what we must remember about our lives. But right from the start, we have to know this. Just like in chapters 1, when we look at verses 3 through 14, we had one big sentence in the Greek. In this section, we have two sentences. But I want to say this, God, again, is the subject of this sentence. God is the subject. This is definitely a look what God has done passage. The subject is God, and then the verb is made alive. God made alive. God brings life. Being brought to spiritual life is a powerful powerful work of God. So we want to look at what God has done. We want to look at God's amazing grace. And I want to show us three truths about God's, God's powerful work. The first is this. This is the truth as written in God's word. In our life, while separated and apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead, disobedient, and doomed. Say it again, in our life, while separated and apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead, we were disobedient, and we were doomed. And this is what the text teaches, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in, in which you once walked. Look, we were dead. 
For the believer, this was our previous position before salvation, and it was a position apart from God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And look how later in verse 5, Paul repeats it again. Even when we were dead in our trespasses is when God was rich in mercy. God loved us in a state when we were in the state of spiritual death. While we were, what, still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, for the believer, this is a past tense situation. You were dead in your trespasses, your acts of sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and we were in a sinful state. That was our condition. That was who we were. But if you are in a position today where you reject Christ, this is your current standing. This is your current position. This is your present reality of being dead in your sins. So all people at some point were either in their past or they currently are dead in their trespasses and sins. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be dead in our sins? How many of you like the movie Princess Bride? Do you remember when Wesley got tortured in the pit of despair? I think that's what they call it, right? And they, yeah, thank you. Someone did that very well. And they, and they rescued him and they took him to where? Miracle Max. Let's take him to Miracle Max. Miracle Max says, hey, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. That's not what scriptures are saying. There is no mostly dead. Dead is dead. There's no getting around it. The word is dead. I don't want to get graphic, but we live in the country, right? We see dead all the time on the side of the road. And I have never seen a skunk dead on the side of the road, get up and walk. I have never seen all the roadkill that we get, squirrels and such, do anything but sit there and rot. Think about it. Dead is dead. Funerals. We've been to funerals with the open casket. And we see there and we see the body. Body doesn't do anything. In fact, oftentimes you look there and go, you know what, something's different, and we know what's different. That was the shell. The person is in eternity. The soul is eternal. And this is just a holding pattern till we get our new bodies. Amen? I'm looking forward to that. We're all counting on it. There's no other way to put it. I can't put it any other way. Dead. And we were dead in our sins. And in our death, we needed resurrection power that Paul prays that we'll know. We needed power in our lives so that we could have new birth. In our death, we needed powerful, life-giving miracle that only God could perform. God's power was necessary to act upon our hearts Because we were dead. And we'll see later that we are awakened to life by God. 
I guarantee you, if you die, you are not in any way going to awaken yourself to life. When you die, you die. It's kind of the same as new birth, right? How many of you had anything to do with being born? And remember it. Go, oh, that was my plan all along. <laughs> I was smart. I did have, oh, never mind. you know how my mind works? I did have a coworker one time said, you know, you choose your parents. I didn't even know where to start. I'm like, no, no, no. Where do you get that from? But anyway, sorry. That was for free. Just take that. See, we can't act in this way. It is God who moves. It is God who awakens because we were dead. And if you don't have Christ today, you are dead in your trespasses and in your sins. I did a little Google search. Do you know Buddhism does not believe in sin? There is no sin. There's this battle where you can do good things or not good things, but they won't call it sin. Man is good. But that's so common, right? So many religions, apart from Christianity, this is a foreign concept. When you say, you're wicked, you are sinful. Man, people hate that. How come? Because of pride. Oh, no, 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 I'm good. And they, God grades on a curve. I'll be okay. I can think of about 10 people right now who are worse than me. Doesn't matter. You're not God. You're not holy apart from Christ. Dead in your sins. Other verses teach this. We don't have time to hit all of them, but Luke 15, remember the prodigal son? What does the father say when the prodigal son returns home? He says this. He says, let's kill the fatted calf. Oh, I like that passage. That's good. Let's have tri-tip. Let's have some cow. Some steaks. Why? Because my son who was dead is now alive. Jesus said in Matthew 8.22, Follow me. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. Ephesians 5, in a few weeks, months, we'll get there. And it says this, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. We were dead, or you are dead in your sins. But my prayer for you today is that you are alive in Christ, that God has awakened you to life. Not only were we dead, but we were disobedient. Just like Adam and Eve, we disobey and disobeyed God. We did not follow God, instead we followed after evil. And our passage states our disobedience in three ways. We followed the world, we followed Satan, and we followed after sinful desires. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We followed the world, we followed Satan, and we followed after our sinful desires. Or, if you don't know Christ, you are following the world. You are following Satan. 
and you are following your sinful desires. I pray that is not your condition. We followed the world in which you once walked following the course of this world. You ever wondered what controls unsaved people? Why they do what they do? Our passage tells us, and it says, apart from Christ, all people are controlled by the world's influences. And what the world values and seeks is contrary to God's way. Paul tells us, tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5, what the values of the world and the wicked are. We know what they value and what they do. Here's the world. They're lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. They're brutal, not loving good. They're treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is scary, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And they deny its power because the power of God has not awakened them. This is who we were or this is who you are. Lovers of self. We talked a bit about that last week. Take care of number one. Proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful. Boy, we're ungrateful, aren't we? Apart from Christ. Always wanting more. Without self-control. Following the course of this world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions or the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, the world is what God has rescued us from. The world and its system. The world is set apart from God. And apart from Christ, it's who we followed. We followed the course of this world. But it's what Christ has rescued us from. We also followed Satan. Verse 2 says, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The book of Ephesians talks quite a bit about powers and principalities, more so than any other New Testament letter. Part of it, I think, is if you look at the church in Ephesus and you look at the city of Ephesus and the start even of the church, there was a lot of occultic and witchcraft and different uh, satanic practices that happened in that city. So this is something that they came up against. And actually, a lot of them were probably formerly trapped in this lifestyle and, and in this sin. And so they would be looking for this fake power, this counterfeit power. But here we see something, that there is a sense that, yes, it's counterfeit, but we know that Satan is a powerful enemy. And to not say so is to be foolish. 
It says, the spirit that is now at work, it states who is behind this power, the spirit at work, the power in the air. When they say that, they mean the lower heavens. It means the space above your head until you get to heaven, until you get above. That's the power of the air. But Ephesians talks about it a lot. We see it in chapter 4, verse 27. And then we learn how to battle effectively in Ephesians chapter 6, utilizing the armor of God that he has given us. But our enemy, and this prince that is spoken of in our chapter and in our text today, it's Satan, the ruler or the prince. And in scripture we see Satan's rule. He's the ruler of demons. If you want to jot down some passages, Matthew 9, 34. Matthew 12, verse 24. We see it in Mark 3, verse 22, and Luke 11, verse 15. Satan is also called the ruler of this world. We see that in John 12, verse 31. 14, verse 30. 16, verse 11. Paul calls Satan the god of this age in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. See, this is the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, this is not possession. But it is speaking of living in a dark world where Satan holds sway. Satan lays bait, doesn't he? He sets traps. And sinful people willingly take the bait. And they disobey God. We, when we're not walking by the Spirit, sadly take the bait. The actions of the disobedient are clear in Scripture. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, coarse jesting. These bring the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. We'll see that in, later on in the book of Ephesians. So we followed the world, we followed Satan, and we also followed our sinful desires. Look at verse three. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Passions of the flesh, desires of the body and the mind. You ever ask someone, hey, when they did something wrong, why'd you do that? Did you ever get this answer? I wanted to. I felt like it. You ever do that with your kids? Why'd you hit your brother? I wanted to. I felt like it. Why'd you kick the cat? It was there. Right? And we, we laugh in silliness, but... Why did you sin this week? I wanted to. It looked better than Jesus at the moment. We carry out what we want to do. In a simple way, why'd you go to the fridge at two in the morning? I was hungry. I felt like a snack. Why'd you sin? I wanted to. We followed our sinful desires and we wanted to. We craved it. Dead in our sins, 
apart from Christ, we crave sin. We feed our flesh. And so the passions of the flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. Romans 8, verse 8 says, those in the flesh cannot please God. Our hearts. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Galatians 5, 16 through 21 says it this way. Paul's telling the church, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify or satisfy the desires of the flesh. Now listen, this is important. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. You see the battle? Spirit and flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And I just want you to look at our society today and society of all time. Read the Roman, read Roman history. Just go throughout history. Man has been sinful since Adam, okay? Dreadfully, wickedly, dead in their sins, sinful. This is all mankind since Adam. But look at today. And look at the past, and you will see this is true. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see these truths clearly, people? My friends, this is what you were or what you are. See, these verses, they speak the truth. And you may ask, is it really this serious? Is it really, really this bad? Isn't there some good in people? Are they just mostly dead? Are they just sick with sin? No, it's fatal. Dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. It is that bad. It is very, very serious. Dead in your sins, following the path of the world, following Satan, following our sinful desires. See, what Paul is describing here is what we call the doctrine of total depravity and total inability. Our condition, apart from Christ, we cannot move, we cannot act, because we're dead. Dead in our sins. And so we cannot come to God apart from a miraculous, resurrecting power. We must be born again. John 3. Right? Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. You must be born again. Now, total depravity does not mean that each person sins to their full sinful ability. By God's grace and common grace, there's still a restraining that happens. But yet, we see sometimes those who go full, full <laughs> pedal to the metal into their sin. But it does mean 
And it is true that all of our being has been infected with sin, and it's deadly. Deadly sin. Morally, we cannot respond to God apart from God's grace. We need God's grace. We need God's power. Romans 3 and other passages show that apart from God's grace, we don't even want to respond to God. Turn to Romans 3. Because Paul quotes an Old Testament passage. This is not new. These aren't the most fun verses in Scripture. I, I give you that. But we're getting there. Hang on. In Romans 3, verse 9, What then are Jews any better off? No, not all. And Paul is here saying that, hey, everybody is in sin. Jews, Gentiles alike. Jews and Greeks. For we have already charged that both, that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow, we live in a society, and this has been true back all the way since Adam. There is no fear of God. Their spiritual deadness takes away their fear of God. So why do, we, why do we talk on this? Why do we make such a clear statement? Why is Paul saying, I am making this clear, this is who you were, or this is who you are? Why? Because it obliterates you. It obliterates and destroys self-righteousness. It shows you who you were or who you are, and it is bleak. But then we see what God has done. Morally, we know we cannot respond to God apart from grace. And so what is it? We're doomed. Look at verse 3 at the end. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we now see that the disobedient are now shown to be children destined for wrath, which is rightly deserved. You see, apart from Christ, our spiritual situation is tragic, and we are under, or were under, judgment. Ephesians 5, 6. If you turn over a page. Let no one deceive you with these empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, oftentimes in churches today, we don't want to talk about the wrath of God, but it is a real thing, and it will come upon the sons of disobedience. Those who are dead will be judged. 
Apart from Christ, our spiritual situation is tragic and we are under judgment and we are by nature children of wrath. By nature, by birth, we are born into this fallen state, right? Psalm 51 verse 5. We need new birth and we need rescue. By nature. Do you understand that? What are some things that we have by nature? Who taught you to breathe? You probably came out and whack. Ah, you know, they used to hit you. And you sucked in your first breath. Who taught you that? Who said, hey, keep that going? By nature, you breathe. By nature, you sin. Hunger. Who taught you to want water and food? By nature, you feed yourselves. By nature, you sin and you're doomed apart from Christ. Those of you who are parents, you kind of know this too, huh? I was like, oh, look at the innocent baby. You've heard me say this before. My kids, when they were angry, even like at two weeks old, I think sometimes if they had the ability, they would have jumped out of that crib and strangled me. We just rage. And it's like, hey, you're talking about babies now. Cute little babies, don't. <laughs> you know this to be true. You know, that scream where they, like, practically pass out? Like, measure the anger in that. Like, you have an anger problem. You know what we taught our kids when they were that way? Yeah, you have an anger problem. You need Christ. We didn't say stop being angry because they can't do that by themselves. We said you need Jesus. Teach your children young that they need Jesus because they're dead in their sins. And when you take it down low to the, to the kid, we're kind of like, oh, but they're so cute. Jonathan Edwards called them little vipers. <laughs> I'm nicer than that. But it's true, right? And that's who we all were. See, God judges sin. We need new birth and we need rescue because God judges sin. This is serious. God is holy. He does not ignore sin. You've, you know, I know I repeat myself, but you need to understand the holiness of God. And, and again, I've used this before, but this is like the best illustration I can come up with. And you've heard me say it. When I grew up, I had to go to the orthodontist. And in those days, they didn't wear gloves. Uh, AIDS was just coming in. Blood, they, blood would be, it just was terrible compared to how, what they do today. Cindy's like, oh my, you know, <laughs> she grinds my teeth now. And um, scrapes them, you know, takes the tartar off, whatever. Um, so... But we would sit there, and he wouldn't wear gloves, but he would go to the faucet, and we'd hear him step on the floor thing, and we'd hear, and be like, okay, he washed his hands. You're welcome into my mouth now. But you got to be sure, as he's going down the assembly line, tightening and torturing all the kids who are there getting their braces, I'm sitting there, and I just was telling Liz today, I'm, I'm kind of a germ phobe. I inherited it from my mom. And um, I'd be listening. Okay, the faucet went on. You got to believe that if I didn't hear the faucet go, there was no way he was putting his fingers in my mouth because they were unclean. 
in our sinfulness, as detestable as unclean hands are going into our mouth at the dentist, God cannot and will not tolerate sin because he is holy. And we are born in intolerable sin. We are unclean. And God judges that because in our deeds, we practice sin. So God does not ignore it. Now we are in a period of patience. Why? God loves to save people. That's what we sang of today. My God is mighty to save. And he saves sinful, dreadful people. So we are in a period of patience where God is withholding his wrath. But don't be fooled, it's coming. Read the end of the book. He will judge. And he will pour out his wrath. And by nature, the wrath of God is upon us. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, our God is a God of mercy and grace. He saves people, but he also punishes. Hebrews 10.31, I think we read this and we just kind of go, oh yeah, sounds good. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When's the last time you felt terror? If you're dead in your sins and Christ returns or you die, you will feel and know terror because the wrath of God is upon you. This is not a popular message, but it is the truth, so we must proclaim it. Apart from Christ, all of us, dead, disobedient, and doomed. Don't be fooled. It is important for us to embrace this. And as difficult as it is, the doctrine of depravity and inability needs to be fully accepted. How come? Why, you ask? Here's why I love this doctrine. It makes God's grace huge. Immeasurable, as Paul puts it. Immeasurable riches of God's grace. It makes God's grace truly amazing. So that when we sing amazing grace, we know it. And we mean it. I like this doctrine because it takes every ounce of self-glory, self-reliance, self-righteousness, self-sanctification, self-effort, self-salvation. Yeah, I'm making some of these up, I know. But we're out of the picture. And God gets the glory. God's grace becomes huge. And so we see we're saved by God's work alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. And next, in the next couple weeks, we'll see this. We'll see the best words in all of Scripture. And I'm going to give you a bit of a hint. We already read it a little bit. So let's read our text. You and me were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And the best words of all scripture. My opinion, but I'm right. But God made you alive. God worked. God is the subject. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Isn't that awesome? Look what God has done. If you're a child of God today, God awakens you to life. God made you alive, and you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. God did this. And guess what? You and me did not deserve it. At all. But God was rich in mercy. But God is great in love. And he made us alive. And we'll see in the weeks to come more of what that means. I can't leave you with the bad news, though. We can't just go, okay, depravity, you're dead in your sins. Get out the door. Have a great week. <laughs> go enjoy. No, we have to see. But God was rich in mercy. Even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive. What a great God. If we have the worship team come up, we have a new song. And it's straight from Ephesians. Uh, it's been one of those songs that I go, oh, we have it a little bit. And I go, but you know, you get nervous about introducing new songs from time to time. Like sometimes you think you do it too much. But uh, this one's a good one. And so uh, in just a quick moment, as you see me playing, stand. And uh, let's close our time in worship. Thank you. 